Hi, my name is Jolie, and I have been averaging about four to five hours of sleep a night. Actually, I was like, why the fuck am I waking up so tired? So then I like set up all my sleep recording stuff and I was like, oh, that would be it. I'm Emma. I'm done with my Christmas shopping. But let's be real, I forgot about Hanukkah gifts, so I actually used Amazon Fresh to get groceries and put like a bunch of weird stuff in my cart. <laughs> These are our options. I need it within two hours. It's almost sundown. <laughs> You can't have latkes, right? You can't. What kind of mm -hmm. traditional food are you doing? I made matzo ball soup, but I did make a savory matzo brai, which is sort of like an omelet, but with like, I guess it's kind of like French toast. It's like matzo and egg, PMI, but like when I eat potatoes, I get like super backed up, but I didn't poop for like a week and a half after freaking Thanksgiving. Did you have like just potatoes galore? Yeah, I, I went in. You were just like, yeah, I oh, messed potato. Me up. Can we make the turkey out of potato? <laughs> this is my day. <laughs> No, it sucked. That was like the longest ever. My body's like, seriously, don't. Like, I don't know how to describe this to you better, but I am going to shit myself inside out. Speaking of murdering your bowels, this is the last inappropriate <laughs> thing that I'm going to say today. I'm so sorry. So we're going to be talking about Jack the Ripper today. Okay, so horrible, horrible things I'm going to say to you. This whole thing is horrible. I'm not going to fucking content warning you. The whole thing's bad. <laughs> okay. I'm prepared. And like, you know, I do that thing where I like laugh when things are heavy. So I'm just going to be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to be like laughing the whole time and like trying not to die inside. Because if you think too much about it, you're just you're empty, just empty. Before we talk about Jack the Ripper, where I will tell you absolutely nothing new, because this happened over 100 years ago. Before we talk about that, I kind of wanted to talk to you about why this particular murder is so famous. And part of it is just, well, A, people were starting to get more access to like written materials and more people were literate than ever before at this time. This was a perfect time for people to start getting a lot of information about what was going on around the world. And a lot of newspapers were starting up and just talking about things that, you know, other people hadn't heard about before. And one mm -hmm. of the things was how fucking awful it was in the 1880s in London. To put it nicely, London was struggling in a lot of ways. So there was a huge disparity in what you could get in London in like the, the late 1800s. On the one hand, you had like the really posh, like beautiful architecture. Everyone was dressed mm -hmm. to the nines, you know. Queen Victoria was, I don't know, doing her anti-sex thing and everybody <laughs> was like just super chic. And on the other hand, there was a ton of immigration happening from pretty much everywhere. People weren't necessarily helping the immigrants. So they would kind of fall into one specific area in London and they would try to build their life there to start yeah. off with. As always happens, whenever there's poverty, there's going to be a lot of crime and a lot of vice. And I keep by, thinking about Sweeney Todd. You know what? It's it's like that. I mean, it it really is like the type of situation where you might come to the country hoping to do the best for your family. And then you realize how impossible it's going to be to do that in a way mm -hmm. that 
fits with your particular moral background. And I'm not saying that as like a judgment at all. I think people do what they have to do. And I don't judge people for stealing. I definitely don't judge people for sex work. But in this particular time, you were either doing the right thing and living a moral life, or you were these people, Mm. right? And if you were poor, you were probably these people. Essentially, at the time, everybody was hearing about how shitty London was. They were like, oh my God, you know, 50% of children are not going to survive till five. Wow. That's how fucking bad it was. Poverty, you know, everything was nasty. Poverty to the extent of like people would have to sleep in houses where essentially you were held up by a rope because they didn't have enough room to have people in beds. Oh my God. So you would pay your like pence or whatever. And they would string up a whole bunch of people in a rope and you would just basically like slump over to sleep. What the fuck? I've never heard about that before. Yeah. So this is what people were trying to raise their children in. And there really wasn't any help for immigrants coming in. A lot of people ended up like getting into either vice, which is like, you know, drugs and, you know, sex work and things of that nature, or they were doing criminal activities. And can you fucking blame them? (laughs) And that's not to say that some people weren't doing it in a way that was like definitely fucking harmful versus like just trying to take care of their families or take care of themselves. But this is kind of what was happening. And all of the world was getting access to how shitty London was or how shitty this. Yeah, because of uh, just access to written materials. By the late 1800s, around 900,000 people were living in London's East End, which is where Whitechapel is. A quarter of a million of its inhabitants were actually in Whitechapel. Whitechapel is not that big, not a tiny area, but it's definitely not enough to house that many people. So it was just like cramped. It was dirty. People were, you know, trying their best to live and work and survive, but It just wasn't possible for most people. Sad. So Whitechapel's mazes of roads, alleyways, and courtyards were only lit by single gas lamps. So most of the time, these areas were fucking dark. They were cramps. There were a lot of like bars. There were a lot of like sex workers trying to get money. Honestly, in those kinds of conditions, there were a lot of people who were suffering from drug addiction and alcohol addiction because Mm -hmm. what the fuck else do you do with yourself when your life is that miserable? Not because you're a sex worker, but because everything sucks. (laughs) Yeah, sleeping on a rope. I need to look up pictures of that. I can't stop thinking about it. Essentially, you have a place that's cramped, that has a lot of crime, that has a lot of vice work, and that has no light. And you also have a a group of people who have been essentially trained to distrust police and Mm -hmm. any sort of law enforcement because they don't fucking care. They don't care if something happens to you because you are foreigners who are coming in and ruining everything. That is like the common thing here. People think that anyone coming in from outside is bringing all of this here Mm -hmm. instead of thinking, oh, no, There's a whole lot of wealth and none of it's being passed to us. And it actually doesn't matter that these people are coming in because it was already going to be like this. Right. (laughs) So you have a whole bunch of people blaming their circumstance on foreigners and on um, a lot of the foreigners happen to be Jewish people fleeing from Paris. That's kind of like the background of everything that you have here is that people were hearing all about it all over the world. So there were already a lot of reporters traveling to London to report on how shitty London was. 
And basically you had a whole bunch of immigrants, specifically immigrants who were already thought of as like lesser than Mm -hmm. because of religious beliefs. That's kind of the background. The other background is that, of course, Queen Victoria was famously anti-sex. Sex Sex was for procreation, and that was it. Boring. Sex workers, bad. Foreigners, bad. Queen Victoria, ultimate good. You know, I I just started watching The Queen. It had me thinking about, like, the British matriarchy, and, like, now they're, like, don't really do anything. Yeah, they had parliament and then they had the the royalty. So the royalty is like a figurehead. It's like the people who go out and they say the things. Yeah, and they're supposed to like represent the people of England or something. Right, which like I find hilarious voice. considering that they're not voted in. It's just right? like these fucking people who inbred themselves into position. <laughs> anyway, I just like didn't really know anything about the matriarchy and I looked it up. I'm like, oh, you don't like do anything except for like be famous. They have influence for sure. Right. Like that, yeah. that's a that's a thing. But to the degree of like, are they making laws? Are they like actually, you know, shaking hands with people and making sure that the, the voice of England is represented fairly? Probably not. Mm-mm. Kind of just like I live in a big fancy house and I wear weird hats and here are my <laughs> grandkids. But I represent you. <laughs> and this is why Queen Elizabeth is never going to want to meet me because I have just said all of this. <laughs> Up until now, though, she like couldn't wait. Yeah, she she was really interested. Like I, I always keep my house in tip top condition with like just the minimum amount of dog hair, oh, just gosh, in case she decides to visit. Coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, now she's not coming at all. That's another interesting point is that there is like this idea that royalty has a lot more has a lot more of their hands in the mix than they really do. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure if push came to shove and there was like a, a major war going on, they would have more of a say in things. But as yeah. it stands now, there are elected officials that do all of that shit. Mm-hmm. It's like tabloid filler is what I read. Yeah. So Queen Victoria was the head monarch at this point in time, and she was famously anti-sex. So, of course, it being horrible in the Lower East End (laughs) in the 1800s or late 1800s, there were a lot of people who ended up having to do sex work regardless of whether or not they had a natural inclination to do so. Mm-hmm. And um, as much as I am like pro-sex work, I am not pro people having to do things just totally. to put yeah. food on the table. And that's like any sort of selling your body. That's like going into coal mines. That's uh, being a banker. That's like having to work as like, I don't know, what do people do? Landscaping? I don't like I any, any of like that landscaping, shit. But I guess people like sex work and like all that stuff too. Do you think there are people that love coal mining? I think there are people who definitely relate heavily to that as like a, an institution. And I, it's, it's hard for me to tell if people actually like something that their family has been involved in for X amount of years or mm-hmm, if it's just totally. like, well, I've grown up with it. This is a thing that I know. This is how it's always been. In a lot of states, it is like your town, once there was no coal mining, died. Oh, Yeah which I think is its own kind of thing where you, you just relate it to a like, oh, this is when our family could actually survive. So I love coal mining. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But it's like the idea that sex work is selling your body, but no other work is like selling your body is just bullshit to me. Agreed. It's just absolute insanity. Let's move on to talking about the canonical victims. 
I'm not going to get into anything too much about it. I'm not going to go into like a lot of gory details or anything like that, because it is all very obvious information that if you have heard of Jack the Ripper, you've probably heard of most of this stuff. The first canonical victim is Mary Nichols. And she was murdered on the 31st of August, 1888. It has to be said that all of the victims were murdered on, I think, either like a Thursday or during the weekend. Weird. That'll, that'll become important later. There are other people before Mary Nichols who have been considered potential victims, like early mm-hmm. victims of Jack the Ripper. But the canonical five are the ones that are accepted as like, okay, these for sure had something Mm -hmm. to do with each other. Her body was discovered at about 3.40 a.m. on a Friday in Bucks Row, which is now Durwood Street. This all happened in Whitechapel, the Lower East End. She had been seen alive about an hour before. She was found with her throat severed by two deep cuts. All of the victims, I think, had about two or three deep cuts, so it, it Kind of looked like the person came up behind them, grabs their throat, slit one way, the other, and then again in some cases. Ew. And something that all of the canonical victims except one have in common is some degree of mutilation and usually genital mutilation. So the mutilations are pretty severe on this, this first victim, Mary Nichols. Her throat had been severed all the way to the vertebrae. That is so gross. That takes so much fucking... Well, I I have no idea. I've tried to cut through a turkey neck before, and that is challenging. (laughs) It's a lot, and I sharpen my knives pretty regularly. So if that's difficult for me, I can only imagine what, like, a normal fucking knife back in those days, how much work that would take. There's, like, a lot of tendons and stuff in there. So that's, like, that's a lot of effort. The lower part of her abdomen was partially ripped open by a deep jagged wound causing her bowels to protrude and she was also stabbed in her vagina twice. Oh my god. So, yeah. There were other like small incisions, but those are the big ones and that's like the hallmark for Jack the Ripper is that there's this like insane amount of brutality on the body. Ew. So that's Mary Nichols. That's the first victim. The second victim was Annie Chapman, who was murdered on September 8th. So the first was August 31st. Second was September 8th. A week. That was a Saturday. So the body of Annie Chapman was discovered at approximately 6 a.m. near the steps to a doorway in the backyard of 29 Hanbury Street in the Spitalfields. As in the case of Marianne Nichols, her throat was severed by two deep cuts. Her abdomen had been cut entirely open with a section of the flesh from her stomach being placed upon her left shoulder. Ew, oh my God. And another section of skin and flesh plus her small intestine being removed and placed above her right shoulder. She also had her uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina removed. A lot of this seems like it's very like premeditated and planned, and I'm sure to some degree it was, but it's important to remember at this time that medical students and medical like training facilities weren't highly regulated, and it took a while to get laws on the record that you couldn't just take parts of the human anatomy from corpses that came into the mortuary. So even though it seems like Jack the Ripper was like removing things and like taking them with him, it's very likely Mm -hmm. that that was not happening. Even though her uterus was removed, it is entirely possible that a person sold her uterus shortly thereafter. Surgery at the time was like everything was still in in the process of needing to be regulated. Like a body would come in and a person would be like, is anyone looking? 
So even though it seems like this person was like, oh, I know exactly where the uterus is and now I'm going to remove it. It probably was just some like enterprising young medical student like, I'm going to make some money. (laughs) Not cool. No, super weird. There are laws against that now because this Mm -hmm. thing happened a lot. Wow. Like taking kidneys and stuff. There really is no way of knowing kind of what the the real MO of Jack the Ripper was. Basically, the only thing that we can really count on was that he was very sadistic and that everything that he did was in a frenzy. All of the murders, all of the mutilations happened, they think within like 15 to 30 minutes in some cases. Where was he doing this? Well, think about it. You are going up to women who are sex workers. Mm-hmm. Sex workers will take you to a place that is away from other people. So they're going to lead you to a place where they already know that they're not going to be interrupted. Mm-hmm. They were leading themselves to death. That's that. It's horrible. Like he really was relying on their trust and, the, and their mm-hmm. desperation to take him to a place where they would be, you know, alone for however long it would take for him to do whatever the fuck he was going to do. It's repulsive. This is the first time we actually get any sort of description of Jack the Ripper or of who people think Jack the Ripper Mm -hmm. was. At the inquest into Chapman's murder, Elizabeth Long, she describes Chapman standing outside at about 5.30 a.m. in the company of a dark-haired man wearing a brown deerstalker hat and dark overcoat and of a shabby, genteel appearance. So apparently this man asked Chapman the question, will you? To which Chapman had replied, yes. I don't know what shabby genteel means. I think that probably means like he wasn't like dirty. Maybe his clothes just weren't like in fashion. He wasn't wearing like the best of everything, but he didn't look like he was like some crazy dude. He looked like a dude. Now we're getting to the double event. So on September 30th, 1888, there was what people consider to be the double event. And that was where Elizabeth Stride was murdered, but she didn't have any mutilations. Her throat was slit. And then they think that he was interrupted. About 30 minutes later, apparently, and a mile away, which I don't know how, I guess if you're like walking really quickly and you're all like amped up on adrenaline because you've just murdered somebody, you could get a mile away within 30 minutes and already be like, you can, I mean, you can do a, a mile in like 17 minutes. If you're like power walking. Yeah, I guess that's true. It seems to me like that's just such a brief period of time to get somewhere, find a sex worker to get her to go Mm -hmm. someplace with you and then to brutalize her. Yeah, maybe he had an accomplice. I don't know. I don't think he had an accomplice. I don't think Elizabeth Stride was his thing. Hmm. Like, I think it's attributed to him because it happened on the same night. But I think that she was likely just a sex worker who was taken advantage of. And that happened a lot in Whitechapel. So they think that he killed Elizabeth Stride because the amount of ferocity with which her throat was cut was just really fucking intense. But Catherine Eddowes was... Whole thing, uterus. The whole fucking thing. Her abdomen was ripped open. Her throat was slit. Her uterus had been removed. Her face was completely disfigured. Like her nose was cut off. Her ear, like it, it kind of looked wow. like he just kind of stabbed at her in places. There were incisions on her like eyelids. Oh my God, that's horrible. Yeah. The only thing that made this like, like I did look at some of the pictures. I'm not going to post them because... Graphic. I find it distasteful. Mm-hmm. The only thing that made 
me able to look at the mortuary photos of these people was that I knew that they were killed very quickly and then everything was done post-mortem. So at least I knew that they weren't like suffering the whole time. That made it at least a little bit easier for me to think about. So the police surgeon who conducted the postmortem on Edo's body stated that his opinion was that these mutilations would have taken at least five minutes to complete. Nobody thinks that this guy was like some master surgeon doctor who was like skillfully dissecting these women. It was literally just like a frenzy, just shit everywhere. Just like mad at their neck, mad at their genitalia. I like the uh, I like the concept of just being mad at somebody's neck, just like, oh, I'm just going right? to fucking do it. It was kind of like a kid, like destroying something. Like when you build a sandcastle and you see kids just like, Mah! right. It's that kind of ferocity. Uh-huh. And it, it makes that much sense. It's just it's it's not like it's coming from a place of like real thought and planning. It's like mm-hmm. the planning was all in getting the lady. And after that, it's like. A lot of people think that he was, he had some anatomical knowledge or surgical training. There is absolutely no indication of that, especially when you look at the mutilations. It looks like a person playing, like Uh. finger paint. Like that level, you know? Um, So the last canonical victim was Mary Kelly, and she was murdered on the 9th of November, 1888. This is the one that is the most gruesome. And because of how gruesome this one was, there are actual crime scene photos taken of it. So this is the only one that had crime scene photos because at the time, crime scene photos were not really a thing. Like Mm -hmm. you took photos of the victim at the mortuary and people would sometimes draw out pictures of where things were. And there are some of those. But Mary Kelly, her mutilation was so intense that they were like, we're going to miss something. So we got to like really document every single aspect of this. They also thought that they would be able to see the reflection of the killer in her eyes. So there are like close-ups of her eyes. (laughs) Spoiler alert, that's not a thing that happens. (laughs) People were not really that educated in forensic science at the time because it was was kind of a new thing, especially in, in crime scene documentation. Even though photography had been available for a while, there were not consistent photos taken of people who were arrested for criminal offenses. That was a whole thing that happened after all of this. So (laughs) there was no like real documentation of like what people looked like when they were booked at all. It was just kind of like, yeah, he looks like a dude with a mustache. That's so crazy. Person shaves their mustache and it's just like, well, that's a whole different person. It's like the Clark Kent situation. You're right. That's not him. Mary Kelly was the most extensive, and that is because this man now had privacy. She had a room at 13 Miller's Court in the Spitalfields, and at 10.45 a.m. on Friday, November 9th, 1888, she was found. Her face had been, it wasn't even a face anymore. Like, her eyes were still there, but essentially there was, you can't tell who she is. Her throat was severed down to the spine. Her abdomen was entirely opened. Her thigh was like flayed. It's like he just took this time to just really play with everything. They say things like, you know, he placed her right breast under her head. But it's like, was he doing that? Or was he just like moving her around? And shit was just kind of everywhere. Because that's when I looked at the crime scene photos, that's exactly what it looked like. It looked like he was moving her around. Like at the end, he had definitely posed her because her body had clearly been in several locations. So it's like he was just kind of doing what the fuck ever. He was just like 
fucking around and like shit ended up where it ended up. To me, it's the same thing as like when you're going through your purse and you're like (laughs) trying to find something and you're just like dumping shit in places and you're like, oh, oh God, I got to put that back. (laughs) You know, like it kind of ends up everywhere, but it's not because you chose to put it there. Like it was some statement, but more like, oh, well now I'm sitting on my lipstick. (laughs) (laughs) That's like a, a much more tidy version. Less uh, nightmare-inducing. A purse, like, filled with body parts. (laughs) You're like, no. We've all been there, okay? Haven't we all worked on the black market? It was only, like, three guys, okay? (laughs) They probably all survived. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Everything was all over the place, and the heart was missing from the crime scene. It is entirely possible that he did actually take that, but it's kind of easy to find where the heart is not like that challenging. And if you have enough time, I'm sure you could get to it. So Mm -hmm. it is entirely possible that, again, a medical student took it. But it's also entirely possible that he was just like, well, keeping this one. Yeah. And like ate it or something. Yeah. Or even just like held it. Just like, wee, it's mine now. (laughs) Gross. I hate this. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. So Mm -hmm. There's only one more like really, really bad murder that we're going to talk about, but that's, that is the gist of like the canonical five. So now, you know, so there were some additional ones that were attributed to Jack the Ripper. And especially at the time, like almost everything was a Jack the Ripper case. Like if, if a lady got murdered, it was Jack the Ripper and that's it. <laughs> like we know this one guy. <laughs> it's, just, him. it's totally him. And this was kind of the case all over the place. And, and we'll see that later. Every single country had their Jack the Ripper. It's like the Jack the Ripper is here in Alaska. He's murdering black women now. It's like, no, he's not there. <laughs> he made it to Alaska. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? Like, it's entirely possible that he would have gone someplace else. And we're t- we'll talk about that later. But literally any murder of women, it was like, yes, this is Jack the Ripper. Like, well, she was strangled. No, it's Jack the Ripper. It's, it's him. It's totally him this time. Okay, so let's talk about some additional Whitechapel murders that at the time were loosely considered Jack the Ripper murders, but were like totally 100% not because the MO was not even fucking close. There's one that's actually sort of kind of thought of as maybe possibly one of the murders, which is Martha Tabram. Like a practice round. I mean, they usually do. It's usually not like, hey, I'm going to murder someone and then disembowel them like right at the first round. Usually what happens with serial killers specifically, especially these kind of like really grotesque ones is that, well, they start with like sadistic things, but things that won't like really fully harm someone. So like they might pick on other kids or like make them do weird shit. It's like usually a lot of sexual shit. But, you know, they'll live. They'll probably be emotionally damaged, but they'll live. And then they'll start harming animals. And first, it'll be stuff that the animals can walk away from because it's like, you know, we've talked about some of my life experiences, specifically with kids that have like a a lack of empathy Mm -hmm. being one of the things that I've dealt with. It's almost like you see the reaction when someone cries and you see the reaction on their face. And they're like, most people will have that like mirror impulse where it's like, oh, like this oh person's, no. yeah, this person's crying. I don't like yeah. that at all. There's more of a curiosity for people who have just a lack of empathy. And then they might actually start to enjoy it because they don't feel things to that degree. Yeah. So it's like wanting to watch it and like understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're sad 
or like you're feeling kind of a start of a sad period in your life and you listen to sad songs just to like really amp it up so you can get it over with. It's kind of like that. It's like, oh, I don't really feel things like that. So I'm going to look at it and examine it. Yikes. What an interesting perspective, like thinking about murders and stuff. For me, I try to think of it as like all of these people were kids at one point. Mm -hmm. It's very likely that something happened to this person that irrevocably fucked up their life, Mm -hmm. right? Because most psychopaths, most sociopaths won't kill people. And that's not a thing that just like, oh, I'm a psychopath. So now I murder people. Yeah. That's like part of it. But that's not the thing that pushes it. Top tier. Yeah. This is like top tier. Like not only do I not feel anything, but I want to make other people hurt. And it's like complete disregard for life. Thinking about that and thinking about how there's always a ramp up to whatever horrible, grotesque, awful thing they're about to do. It is possible that just slitting someone's throat or just sexually assaulting someone like helps work up the courage or whatever for the Yeah, it could have been like that. That was the first taste. And then he got into it and he was like, oh, I actually really like this. They even describe in in first murders, like there are hesitation marks is what they call it. You can tell that the person like started whatever they were going to do and then like kind of freaked out a little bit. Wow. But then continued. It's usually referred to when it's like stabbing or something like that. Just like, oh shit, fuck it. And your body just takes over. Like usually the first one is not thought of as like a release. It's like after you've processed what you've done, then you start to think, well, I need to do it again. It's like any kind of addictive thing because really what you're doing is releasing like just a batch of chemicals, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't feel things the way that other people feel them. So when you see someone hurt, when you take somebody's life and feel that power, that makes you feel amazing. Yeah. I do not understand it because I watch someone cry and I immediately start crying. I know. You're a true empath. It's fucking painful. I remember horrible things that I read about like 20 years ago. I read about something and then it'll replay in my mind and I'll literally like wake up in the middle of the night like, no, 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 no. Wow. Blessing and curse. I don't think I would want to be a sociopath, but I feel like there has to be a happy medium (laughs) between like obsessively thinking about the hurt that other people have suffered. And I think I'm a happy medium. I thought like when we did the empath thing, I'm like, I'm an empath, but I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're empathic, but the idea of being an empath to me feels more like torture than anything else. I agree. I like to feel like I have some sort of separation and control of my emotions. But when it comes to watching other people have a hard time, I just don't. I 100% feel it. Even if I don't like the person, I can look at what they're going through and think, God, that must be so horrible. I feel so bad. That's wild. You're just so nice. I don't think I'm nice. I think I'm just like, I deeply (laughs) understand what suffering is. And I can't stand to Mm, think of anyone suffering, even when I know that they've created suffering. I'm just like, well, it's not making it right. Nothing's ever going to be right. But at the same time, I say this and I have always said, if anyone touches my daughter, I will kidnap and torture and kill them. I will 100% destroy them. I will feel horrible about myself. I will definitely never be able to look at myself in the mirror again, but I'll also be like, I did it. We're good now. I feel that. But yeah, so uh, they think Martha Tabra because it was just (laughs) her throat being cut. Even though there were no other injuries, that could have been one of the additional ones. Mm -hmm. Most of the other people had essentially no mutilations even if they were like they had their throat cut it was really very unlikely 
that anything else had happened that was similar. And at this time, like there wasn't like copycat killers or whatever, because there's not really media. So just a lot of people were slitting people's throats. Throat cutting has always (laughs) been like a thing, right? Since we've had sharp objects, throat cutting, blunt force trauma, like that's going to be a thing. We're such simplistic little monkeys. All of the murders were happening. And at the time that all of the press was being released, if a woman was murdered, it was Jack the Ripper. 100%, like no doubt in anybody's (laughs) mind, Jack the Ripper had something to do with this. And it has to be said that because of the nature of Whitechapel or like the Lower East End at this point, there was a lot of murder. That's so crazy. Like, is it, it's not like that anymore. Yeah, people get up in arms about like, well, specifically people at the time were up in arms saying like, it wasn't that bad, but like, yeah, it was. (laughs) It really was. (laughs) No big deal. So let's talk about the modus operandi and kind of what we're looking at when it comes to determining if any other murders were Jack the Ripper. There was a little bit of strangulation, but it seemed more to get the person under control before slitting Ah. their throat. I would consider that like not the main thing. I wouldn't consider strangulation because like that is very intimate and it does take a very long time. I wouldn't consider Mm -hmm. that to be the main thing. It was like a good grip or something. Yeah, it was like a good grip, like turn her around so that he could do his thing and then get down to business. And the the real business was just the extensive mutilation. So like the cutting off of things, slitting the, the abdomen open, the removal of things. And there really wasn't ever anything entirely removed except for like the things that were clearly kind of done by medical students. Yeah, the heart, right, and stomach or heart and... Multiple uteri were taken, but they were taken in the manner of like a a surgeon, which at the time, like surgeons weren't quite as trained as they are now. So it's not saying the same thing as like, if I were to say a surgeon took my uterus, it's it's not the same level that we're talking about. (laughs) Right, yeah. But the fact that these murders all happened in very brief periods of time before discovery means that there's almost no way that even a skilled surgeon could remove, could effectively remove a uterus in a darkened alley in like 15 minutes. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. With like a dull knife. It's almost 100% impossible for that to be a thing. I'm not going to say 100% because maybe there's some like really fucked up but amazing surgeon in that time. Like a new Netflix series. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's very unlikely that he was actually fully responsible for removal of organs. So we can't really count on removal of organs being a thing, but we can count on evisceration. And just kind of the decorating of the body parts around the person and the posing. I would say that that's a big thing, too. I think they determined in Mary Kelly's case that her heart was removed before she had even been taken to the morgue. He took that heart then, right? Yeah, I think he probably took the heart. But also the heart's obvious. You're not going (laughs) to miss the heart, okay? Yeah. If you're doing that much dissecting you're probably going to find the heart and be able to get it out. Like yeah. it's, it's surrounded by the pericardium. If you rip open the pericardium, you can cut the heart out. Having as little experience as I do with dissection of smaller scale animals, it's not difficult to locate and remove a heart. It just isn't. That being the only thing that I couldn't find reference to like the possibility of it being taken by a medical student. I think that that's well within the bounds. Or like the kidney. I think the kidney was removed from one of them. But again, that could have been a medical student. And also the kidneys Mm -hmm. are not difficult to find, especially if you're like lifting up 
up the fucking intestines. It's just, yeah, people are super dedicated to the idea that he had anatomical knowledge and that even doctors at the time were like, probably not. There's almost two sides. It's like the frenzied mutilation and then the skillful removal (laughs) of the uterus. Yeah. Those two things do not make sense together. Maybe he had like trained expertise and he like went into a rage and cut everything and then was like, okay, now I'm going to use my, utilize my skills. Oh shit, rinse (laughs) too. One thing to note is that the fourth victim, Catherine Eddowes, shows only 14 minutes elapsed from the time the police did their last sweep of the square before she was found to when she was actually found. So 14 minutes, even doctors at the time were like, I'm good at what I do and I need more time than 14 minutes. Yeah. And that's 14 minutes to take her there to to do everything else he was going to do. And then also to remove the uterus. Like that's pushing it in like complete darkness. Let's talk about anti-vice Victorian values and how that directly contributed to these murders that were just so awful to like all of the officials. Like most things, it came from a white man just wanting to do the right thing. Frederick Charrington was the recipient of a long legacy of brewery owners, and he was a very rich man. He saw a woman with her children going into a pub to retrieve her husband to try to get him to help her with money so that she could feed the kids, you know, typical Lower East End shit. And he said that the guy was clearly very drunk and that he assaulted his wife and like pushed her into the gutter while the kids watched. And dear Frederick went up to the man and was like, hey, you can't fucking do that. And he got assaulted. And then as he was like lying on the ground, like looking up, trying to get his bearings, he noticed that he was at the Charrington Brewery, which is his family owned line of breweries. And he was like, oh, fuck this. To his credit, he immediately just like told his family, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. All we do is cause destruction of other people and I'm tired of it. He essentially left his family business and then decided he was going to do something about this life of vice and how it affected families and children and how it was just like creating chaos for people, mm-hmm. not the poverty. Oh, you know, it's like this is always this like well-intentioned, poorly executed thing. To his credit, he really did put his money where his mouth was. He was like, I'm not doing this shit anymore. It's it's fucked up that I'm a part of something that hurts people. But mm-hmm. instead of actually like doing something that was for the better, he essentially like made it his life's mission to end the large channels available for like vice. So that's like drugs, that's alcohol, that's sex, anything fun, gone. Yeah, all fun out the window. Go to church. <laughs> read your Bible mm-hmm. and literally nothing else. You do not read your Torah. Do not read your Quran. Not interested. Mm-mm. All Bibles every day. What is it? Or all Bibles, everything. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little liquor, but definitely no sex workers. But if you, if you're going to have sex workers, just not in a brothel. And that's Mm -hmm. essentially what happened. He like made it his business to shut down brothels. In fact, so much so that he went in to to raid a brothel once with policemen. And he found a giant painting of himself on the brothel wall because they wanted to be able to look out for him. Make sure if he came in there, they were ready. So (laughs) all of the brothel owners knew about this. But because these brothels were were shutting down and there was really no other work 
for women at the time, other than yeah. like factories, which were really, you know, it's difficult to get a job there. And it's also incredibly difficult work where you essentially don't have any freedom and you're still mm-hmm. selling your body or you do sex work or you like nanny or like do you know, laundry stuff, which is also like mm-hmm. very challenging work. So it's basically like you have no options as a woman. Your options are so limited that you kind of need sex work to mm-hmm. be able to survive. Like there were people who like went in and out of it, like a lot of people today. Like some people mm-hmm. are in it to win it. They they really love their work. They would always do it. Um, and then there are people who do it when they need to and then get out. What this did was it shut down all of the safer, not completely safe, obviously, but the safer ways for women to get the money that they needed to support themselves. And it made them have to essentially do things in the shadows, on the streets, where they had totally. no protection. He and this whole like Victorian fucking morality police shit, they were all directly responsible for creating the primary location for a man like Jack the Ripper. And the other things that happened around this time that were considered like potential Whitechapel victims, because they they weren't Jack the Ripper victims at the time. They were yeah. called the Whitechapel victims. The other people who were assaulted and mutilated and they had things done to them that were clearly not Jack the Ripper, but were obviously like fucked up and horrible. It was all about this. It was just people thinking like, you know, these are expendables. These are people mm-hmm. that we don't need to worry about. They're doing it to themselves. This They must want this. So messed up. Yeah. The Victorian morality set up the perfect location for not only extreme poverty, because mm-hmm. like, well, these foreigners, they're not even Christians. What are they doing here? You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's something like morally wrong with you. Not saying that Frederick Charrington thought that way because he actually didn't. Like he was definitely misguided in a lot of ways, but he wasn't the type of person who thought that it was a moral failing that people were suffering. He he wanted to help them. He helped spread the, the Victorian morality principles that made things harder for people who were poor or struggling or into sex work. Yeah, because they're like, shit, I need to make money. I guess I'll go with you, creepy dude. Frederick Charrington did do a lot of like good stuff. Like he he really kind of petitioned for children's rights and for children to be taken care of. And he did like Christmas time, like big banquets for people who were in need. And it's like, that's great. Yeah, he did a lot of really good things. And one of the good things that he did was he purchased, I don't know how to pronounce this, Osea, Osha, Osha Island. O-C is how it's spelled. O-S-E-A. O-C-A. I'm going to call it O-C. They're having like a robot voice and then like put it on top. That's what I did with the Muzak person. It's so good. Whatever the name is, he purchased... O.C. Island. (laughs) Off the coast of Maldon in Essex and established a treatment center for people with alcohol and opiate addictions. In return for free treatment, clients would remain on the island and work the land. So it's kind of like giving back. Some good ideas there. Good ideas. Poor execution. So let's talk about Jack's sensational PR team. And really, it was just a whole bunch of people being like, ooh, this sounds fun. Let's write some letters. (laughs) (laughs) Like TMZ 1800s. Weird cosplay. Super murderers. They're just like us. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) There are a few letters that probably most people have heard at least part or like all of. There's the Dear Boss letter. It says, Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. 
that joke about leather apron gave me real fits. This was like the only piece of evidence that was found was like a piece of what they considered a leather apron. We'll talk about that later. Uh, that joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work than give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all of the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. He didn't write that. He 100% did not write that. <laughs> so the newspaper game was a little fast and loose with journalism at the time. And it was kind of more like a, a sales job. Yeah. Like I, I kind of consider newspapers of the time like a little bit informative, but a little bit like Penny Dreadful. A journalist actually admitted to writing both this and the Saucy Jack postcard, which we'll talk about too. So stupid. Nah, hey, I'm going to go murder someone later, eh? <laughs> like old timey talk. Even though people admitted to doing this, they said, no, we like 100% wrote that to sell newspapers. They admitted to doing it and people still will say, but he said, like, I'll clip the lady's ears. Catherine Eddowes, the one who was found in the gutter, but with her like face kind of mutilated, yeah. she happened to have part of her ear missing but it was like a previous injury a previous injury left her ear she missing. had had her ear ripped with her earring and it had healed okay. and even if like there was an incidental cut like he cut her face up man <laughs> shit happens it you wasn't know? about the ears yeah dude. probably he probably didn't clip the ear to prove that it was really him this is the first jack the ripper letter it was written by a journalist named fred best and he wrote this one and the saucy jackie which is my favorite <laughs> this one was a postcard that was mailed directly to the same newspaper <laughs> just that like real communicative spirit of jack the ripper totally you know? he just really wanted to chat it said, I was not cotting, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit. Couldn't finish straight off. Had not time to get the ears off for police. Thanks for keeping the last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. Again, Fred Best said, yeah, I, I did. I did that. I'm sorry. Whoopsies. <laughs> People think because he referenced the double event before anyone could have possibly known about it, even though mm -hmm. this man was in the news agency who probably like had people informing him on things. People are like, like, this is a real letter. The only one that hasn't been confirmed to be 100% a hoax. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's not a hoax. It just means that nobody admitted to writing this shit was the From Hell letter. So the From Hell letter was a letter sent alongside half a preserved human kidney to the chairman of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, and his name was George Lusk. So it's referred to as either the Lusk letter or the From Hell letter. He received it because he started the committee kind of as a response to how little the police officers were able to do. And it was essentially just a whole bunch of like dudes being like, we're going to catch them. <laughs> 
<laughs> like we're gonna like form a, a neighborhood watch and we're gonna catch this bastard. We got this. To be fair, at the time, the police were like, yeah, man, fuck it. Do what you can. <laughs> right. We need all the help we can get. There is no such thing as forensic science. What's a photograph? Please help <laughs> us. You know, they weren't like, yeah, we'll give you all of our information. We're going to work alongside you. But they, were, they weren't saying like, no, we're doing our job. Stay away from this. You know, they were kind mm-hmm. of open to people helping because they had no fucking clue what to do for a lot of reasons. And we'll talk about that later. This from hell letter, I don't think has been found at some point and went missing because, you know, people like to steal shit. The kidney was also not found. Someone did look at it at the time and said that it kind of looked like the kidney of an adult human. They said possibly female. I don't know how a kidney looks either male or female, (laughs) but whatever. We're going to let that go. But he said that it was probably a person who had Bright's disease, which is a common disease for alcoholics, apparently. But again, cheers. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But yeah, again, they they didn't keep any of that. And even George Lusk was like, it's probably some stupid medical student just like trying to fuck with us. He probably was right. The from hell letter was different from the, and mind you, there were like thousands of letters that were from Jack the Ripper. So, But these are like the best of. These are like the best ones. The ones that had the most media attention or had the most possibility. They say this now, none of this shit has been saved. None of it. So there's no way to know if any of them were like just weird enough, but like neutral so Mm -hmm. that you can look at it and be like, oh, that's for sure the murderer. Because he just says things like, I really enjoy cupcakes and also ladies look like cupcakes. And that's why I cut them open to see if I can find the the center with the cream. I'm hungry. (laughs) XOXO Jack the Ripper. Cupcake Jack. Why are you calling me Jack the Ripper? (laughs) The first two, the Dear Boss and the Saucy Jack, were clearly written by the same person. The From Hell letter was clearly written by a different person. Even the level of literacy was quite obviously very different. This one said, From Hell. Like a return address? Yeah, it said, From Hell, Mr. Lusk. Sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, preserved it for you. The other piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a little while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Maybe that's him. It very well could have been. Who knows? I like that he ate the organ. No waste. I think the wastefulness is what gets me the most. (laughs) What are you doing with the uteri? That's good meat. That's good eating, okay? Okay, so the last one, the Openshaw letter. When the kidney from Lusk was given, there was another one that was sent. It had another kidney. Mm. Why the kidney? Kidney free. Who knows? I don't know if kidneys were just much easier to come by, maybe, in like the medical organ trade or whatever, if kidneys were like, you know, low-hanging fruit. Maybe. 50 cents for a kidney. But yeah, Another kidney. (laughs) Another day, another kidney. This one was sent to a doctor, a pathological curator. And this one said, old boss, you was right. It was the left kidney. I was going to operate again close to your hospital just as I was going to draw my knife along her blooming throat. Them cusses of coppers spoilt the game, but I guess I will be on the job soon and will send you another bit of innards. Jack the Ripper. Oh, that could be him. The postscript was, oh, have you seen the devil with his microscope and scapula looking at a kidney with a slide cocked up? 
Like, I don't hmm. even know what that fucking means. <laughs> Me neither. I'm like, oh, okay. These letters haven't been... I mean, that could be him. It's all like, blimey. <laughs> the spelling is what really gets me. Really? Because it, it yeah, makes I, me want to say like drawer instead of drawer. drawer. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's spelled D-R-O-R. Drawer. Which makes me laugh. But then I have to remember like, oh, he's talking about murdering a woman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> George Bernard Shaw was actually kind of a new writer at the time. This was before he was famous. And he wrote like a series of scathing letters to the star and was like furious about how all of this was being handled. So he said, will you allow me to make a comment on the success of the Whitechapel murderer in calling attention for a moment to the social question? Less than a year ago, the West End Press, headed by the St. James Gazette, the Times and the Saturday Review, were literally clamoring for the blood of the people, pounding on Sir Charles Warren to thrash and muzzle the scum who dared to complain that they were starving, heaping insult and reckless calumny on those who interceded for the victims, applauding to the skies the open class bias of those magistrates and judges who zealously did their very worst in the criminal proceedings which followed, behaving in short as the proprietary class always does behave when the workers throw it into a frenzy of terror by venturing to show their teeth. Quite lost on these journals and their patrons were indignant remonstrances, argument, speeches, and sacrifices, appeal to history, philosophy, biology, economics, and statistics, references to the report of inspectors, registrar generals, city missionaries, parliamentary commissions, and newspapers, collections of evidence by the five senses at every turn, and house-to-house investigations into the condition of the unemployed, all unanswered and unanswerable, and all pointing the same way. So he's basically saying, like, when people were like, hey, we're real hungry, you're treating us like shit, you just wanted to go into their house and be like, but you're drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you didn't drink so much. Maybe if you went to church more often. We still have these issues today. Yeah, but then people got very concerned once the murders started happening. Like, oh, well, oh, these poor people. It's like, no, you're not actually concerned about them. Mm -hmm. You just want to look like you're doing something about it. He said, private enterprise has succeeded where socialism failed. Whilst we conventional social Democrats were wasting our time on education, agitation, and organization, some independent genius has taken the matter in hand and by simply murdering and disemboweling four women converted the proprietary press to an inept sort of communism. The moral is a pretty one and the insurrectionists, the dynamitards, the invincibles and the extreme left of the anarchist party will not be slow to draw it. Humanity, political science, economics, and religion, they will say, are all wrought. And one argument that touches your lady and gentleman is the knife. What was that word? Something tards? Dynamitards. Dynamitards. I don't even know what he means by that. Me neither. (laughs) I don't know what a lot of that means. (laughs) Real fucking bad. The worldwide fascination with the Jack the Ripper case is not just because it was this horrifying thing and it was just so awful because to be frank, this is not like the worst series of murders ever. It's like the usual. This is like the, the bare minimum that you need to say, wow, this is a really gnarly serial killer at this point, you know? But there are definitely serial killers where you can look at them and be like, wow, you're so much worse than Jack the Ripper. Why are you (laughs) not a thing? There's another one, Ed Gein. He didn't, so he was nasty. 
but he was mainly like a grave robber. He didn't really murder a whole bunch of people. Like, it's not cool to murder anyone, guys. And I'm going to listen. I don't care who I offend. I'm going to go on record. I don't think it's cool to murder people, okay? Yeah, <laughs> same. Same Z's. He didn't murder like a whole bunch of people, but he was mainly like a grave robber and he was like nasty. So I feel like just the the nasty aspect of it is what really gets to people. And it's it's less about like how horrific it is, but more like, ew. Yeah. You were eating out of like a bowl made of a skull. Ew. Don't, don't <laughs> yeah. handicraft with human bones. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I think the, the Jack the Ripper thing was just like, it was nasty. He wasn't the first serial killer. He wasn't the worst. But the, the Elementary Education Act of 1880 made school attendance compulsory regardless of class. And that was the big thing. By 1888, all working class families had children who had some level of education. Dope. Compulsory education is dope. And then tax reforms in the 1850s kind of opened up the ability for inexpensive newspapers to really widely circulate their apparently fake letters. So, so like lots of people can read. The newspapers are like, read this shit. Exactly. But the problem with this was that because all of this was kind of happening for the first time in at least English history, can't speak for any other country, the way that we see journalism now, which is like there are almost two aspects of journalism, right? There's like the monitored and researched like prime journalism. Versus like sensational journalism. Yeah. So we see a little bit less sensationalistic and speculative journalism than they used to have. So there wasn't really yeah. like a, hey, there are lots of journalists. So we should probably have like some rules around this shit because right, it's getting right. weird. This is kind of when that became a necessity. But also like there really weren't as many rules for police officers talking to journalists. Like it was all like new territory. The kind of cultural norms that we see around like police kind of keeping certain aspects of uh, investigations a secret. No, yeah, it wasn't like that. They had no clue what they were doing. Like they had no clue. You know, they were doing their absolute best and people always like to rip on the fucking investigative team for Jack the Ripper. Like, oh, if he had been anywhere else, they would have solved it. It's like, no. Maybe like in a different era. Yeah. If he had been here today, we would have solved it because the guy was clearly fucking nasty mm -hmm. and he wasn't super organized. Like he was organized in that he wanted to find someone and kill them. And in no other way was he like guarding himself. The investigation was fine. They did their best. But again, it was a whole lot of people who were considered foreigners and, you know, unfortunates before the investigation. Now the police are coming up to them and they're like, hey, we need your information. They're like, you were just fucking with me like one month ago. I am not yeah. talking to you. Not yeah. only that, but there are hundreds upon hundreds of people in each building. How do you even wrap your mind around how to investigate a situation where people not only don't trust you because you have made yourself untrustworthy, but also that there are so many people that to investigate every single lead means you are investigating at least two to 300 people, if not more, for each individual thing. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of work. There is absolutely no way that any of that's getting done. So they don't have DNA. They don't have fingerprinting yet. They don't have, you know, photography. They have a whole bunch of people who do not trust cops. There was no way for them to win this. Not to say that like, you know, the Whitechapel police were doing a really good job. Like I'm sure there's shit that they could have done better. There's shit that they did that was just like fucked up. But this was like a long time ago. This was a really fucking long time ago. None of the shit that we think of as like, well, of course you're going to do that was yeah, an option. Anything. Greg John Jones, 
who wrote Murder, Media, and Mythology, the impact the media's reporting of the Whitechapel murders had on national identity, social reform, and the myth of Jack the Ripper. One of the fundamental problems with studying the Whitechapel murders is the incorporation of myth into fact. This is usually the result of erroneous newspaper reports being taken as fact or theorists distorting or misinterpreting the evidence to fit their pet theory. The extensive use of academic journals provides a backdrop of integrity among a field fraught with sensationalism and mythology. I think that that's one of the biggest problems with doing any research on Jack the Ripper is that people are using newspaper articles as though they are canon. People are using early forensics investigations, early detectives just talking about it as them actually knowing what the fuck they're talking about when it's like, okay, these things were not like they are now. You have to go into it understanding that all of this was like in its infancy. Oh, yeah, that's what I keep thinking. I'm just like, well, no shit they didn't know. Like, they don't know anything. There are cases now that happened recently that are by most people considered solvable that are not solved. Like, it is that difficult to solve a fucking crime. <laughs> so well, I think part of it's that you have to have, like, evidence that can be proven in court. Because of the nature of investigations at the time, because of the fact that there was no forensics, really, there was kind of this, like, loose idea of things that could be possible, like, you know, taking a picture of a victim's eye and seeing the reflection of the killer. Right. In the moment of terror, what you fear burns into your retina. Like, I saw a giant-ass centipede one day, and I was so scared I almost pissed myself. (laughs) Like, can you imagine just always having, like, a centipede burned into your retina? Like, if it was that easy, my friend. (laughs) <laughs> it's like when you get red eye, it's just like a centipede. Picture. <laughs> uh, it's the centipede looking through you. It's becoming part of you. <laughs> That's facts. Those are facts. All facts. Chief Inspector Burns of the NYPD. So there was like this weird NYPD versus Whitechapel. Like, I don't know. They, they just had beef with each other. And I don't know why. But NYPD had serious beef with like Scotland Yard and decided that they were going to tell people like if this happened in New York, we would have already solved it. Shit would be solved. We take care of business. What? What were they doing? Like tweeting them? Like how are they contacting them? They were actually putting it in the the paper. So, you know, journalists were reaching for anything. So they would talk to other To be fair, this is like a a fair way of researching something and then writing about it. Going to another professional that you actually have access to and saying, what do you think they're doing right now to try to solve the crime? But Burns from NYPD said, I should have gone right to work in a common sense way and not believed in mere theories. With the great power of the London police, I should have manufactured victims for the murderer. I would have taken 50 female habitus? I don't even know what that means. Female habitus. Habitue. It's essentially saying like 50 females that look like they they live in Whitechapel. Females. Female habitus of Whitechapel and covered the ground with them. Even if one fell a victim, I should get the murderer. That is so fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) Even if one fell victim, I should get the murderer. Men ununiformed should be scattered over the district. Good idea. So nothing could escape them. The crimes are all of the same class, and I would have determined the class to which the murderer belonged. But, pshaw, what's the good of talking? The murderer would have been caught long ago. Yeah, because you would have, like, sacrificed the life of women. Because you would have just put a whole bunch of prostitutes out there and been like, which one gets picked off? So weird. It's It's fucked up. I read that, and I actually, again, poor Bryson, I was like, you want to hear something fucked up? (laughs) He was like, not really. (laughs) Stop yelling. 
So there was a, another murder after the Whitechapel murders that looked by all perceptions as like possibly being related. She actually survived for a little bit and she got to describe her previous client who had assaulted her and brutally, brutally mutilated her before she died. Comparisons were naturally made and because this happened a couple of years after the canonical five and after the murders had already cooled off for a while. So because of the brutality of Marianne Austin's murder, comparisons were made. And that like, resurgence of journalistic integrity and reporting on this new murder, people started asking all over the place, like, have you seen any like new murders or like, what would you do? And that's kind of what got the, the NYPD involved in like going to town on like Scotland Yard's like mishandling or like the London Police Department's mishandling of the investigation. They don't know anything about London. You know what? The thing that makes me really angry is that New York City was like a mirror image at the time of Whitechapel. People were living in in tenant buildings that were just, Mm -hmm. they were stacked on top of each other. There were actually new laws in place because there was so little ventilation in these buildings where people were just piled on top of each other that like people died. Like if there was a fire, there was no getting out. The audacity that he had to talk about Whitechapel, I'd be able to solve that shit. No problem. It's like, you can't solve your own shit, man. Whatever. You know, the earliest evidence of photographic documentation was of prison inmates in 1843. 1888 was when forensic science itself was kind of starting to get established. So the year that all this shit happened, forensic scientists were starting to be like, hey, we should like probably codify some of this stuff that we're doing so that other people can use it. The earliest people were actually taking crime scene photos in the way that we think of them now, which is to have kind of the bird's eye view like Mm -hmm. over the scene and then to have the detail shots and the establishing shots. All of that was in the 1890s. And then not until like the early 1900s was everything like really solidified. Mm -hmm. And the photographer slash detective person who kind of, you know, made everything like, hey, when you take a mug shot, you do this angle, you do this angle, this Mm -hmm. is the lighting, this is like all the details that you need to write down in in handwriting. You need to actually look at the body and make sure you know like all of the tattoos and he's Criminology 101. Exactly. So this guy, Alphonse Bertillon, he kind of codified all that and he was the first person to take crime scene photos where he did like the bird's eye view on like a really tall ladder over the scene so that you could see exactly the way the body fell. Before that, it was just like pictures in a morgue. Things might be drawn, but they might not Mm -hmm. even be drawn. Most of the time, like there was absolutely nothing besides like, you know, people just doing like what I consider dumb shoe work. We talked a little bit about how there was a lot of immigration at the time. A lot of those people happened to be of Jewish descent and they were leaving France. I have to be honest, I don't entirely understand why it was specifically France at the time that they were leaving. I don't know either. You said that earlier and I was like, hmm, right, yes. I feel like I've probably read about it, but like all things that are deeply upsetting to me, I probably was like, nope. Yeah, I'm sure it's still like Holocaust shit. Yeah, it's the same old, same old. Unfortunately, nothing changed here because a lot of the people were Jewish and because people were like, they're taking our jobs. You know, a lot of people were like, well, it's clearly like a Jewish man doing this. Of course. Duh. So there was a lot of like really shitty graffiti on walls. And you've probably heard about the graffiti that was found kind of nearby a crime scene of the one of the Jack the Ripper murders. But it said the Jews are the men who won't be blamed for nothing, which is 
basically like, they're not going to take accountability for anything. But people thought that this was like a Jack the Ripper graffiti, even though it was clearly just like some shit bags being shit bags. And it was probably there for a long time before that. People really got into the xenophobia and nationalism of, well, some foreigners coming in and killing our women, our good white women. The usual racist crap. Yeah, just the huge. A lot of the suspects happened to be either immigrants or like some of them were like North African. Uh, There were a lot of Polish people. To be fair, at the time in that area, lots of immigrants. So, of Mm -hmm. course, there are going to be like more immigrants in that area more potential suspects who happen to be immigrants. That all makes sense. There was kind of a subtext of like even the police department of like looking out more for people who didn't belong. Mm. So a few of the people who were most liked by the police, Severin Klozowski, George Chapman, not related to Annie Chapman. So he was actually a person of interest because he had murdered by poison I think four of his either mistresses or wives. So I think a couple of wives, a couple of mistresses. He essentially just poisoned them. Not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Real bad dude. Super bad dude. Different kind of bad dude though. Yeah, but different kind of bad dude. Definitely a fucking misogynist. Definitely real bad guy. Probably not the killer, right? Not a throat slitter. He was um, executed for the last murder that he committed. Another guy was Aaron Kosminski. This was Detective Aberline, which is one of the main detectives in the Jack the Ripper cases. One of his favorites. Aaron Kosminski was a Polish and Jewish barber and hairdresser. And he was one of the favorites of Aberline, I believe. I think they liked him for it because they supposedly found a copy of his memoirs, which basically admitted as much that he was Jack the Ripper. But I think they also found that he had paranoid schizophrenia. He's like, I'm that guy. But I want to say that his supposed, um, his supposed evidence, his like memoirs or whatever were found to be like fake. (laughs) That's like a bunch of shit. So I think this guy was actually leather apron. And we talked about how like they found the leather apron so they, people called him Leather Apron because he was a real bad dude and he was a barber and he wore a leather apron. Like Sweeney Todd. Yeah, he's like a Sweeney Todd type, except he's just an asshole. No, no singing. Light singing. So he was violent. However, his violent outbursts tended to be like, he wasn't going to be able to hide any of that shit. Mm-hmm. He threatened his sister with a knife. Or no, he threatened someone's sister as an, with a knife. <laughs> that's like is that worse or better i don't know i don't think he murdered anyone i think he was just a dick another favorite of the investigators at the time was montague john Druitt. there's basically no evidence to implicate him it's another like this guy's a fucking weirdo so probably killed a whole bunch he of must ladies have done it. um the one thing that is interesting about him is that his family actually thought that he did it mm, and weird. <laughs> that's I feel like you have to be doing something real bad for your family to be like, oh, he's murdering people. Right. (laughs) For sure. He was considered sexually insane, I think were the exact words. (laughs) They don't know if he committed suicide. He was found dead in the, what is it, Tim's? I always want to say Thames, it's Tim's. In the Tim's River, a few weeks after the last death. 
So the last murder. Maybe he did do it. Who knows? Yeah, entirely possible. Basically, he was a fucking, he was probably like a sadist weirdo, but he was also the son of a medical practitioner. So people oh. were like, well, yeah. So and his family is like, he did it. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. It looks like he did kill himself. But if my family thought I was murdering ladies and we're talking to people about it. Right. I'd kill myself too. I'd probably <laughs> want to kill myself too. Then the last person that they really liked for this and that they did investigate pretty heavily was John Kelly. James Kelly. A young upholsterer who a few months before the murders in Whitechapel fled the Broadmoor Psychiatric Hospital where he had been for attempting to murder his wife with a knife. Oh my God. And his wife actually ended up dying of that. She didn't die immediately, but she did die. So he was in London. He admitted to being in London around the time of the murders. And then he said that he actually traveled for a while. But yeah, he he had extreme anger issues. He had extreme jealousy. He had actually accused his wife before he ended up killing her of having an affair, of being a sex worker. And he accused her of giving him an STD, even though he was clearly seeing sex workers. Oh my God, what a dick. So yeah, and she was like a little lady. She was like, uh, they got married when he was 20, she was 18. So she was a very young lady when she was murdered. It was like- Wow, that's sad. Three years later, murdered. Yeah, he was clearly just very uh, unhinged. I would Mm -hmm. say very unsound of mind. But he was actually able to kind of trick people in Broadmoor into trusting him and giving him responsibilities. Mm. And he was able to, with the help of another inmate, fashion a key that would work to get them out. So they both broke out at that time. So he was a model inmate until he just disappeared. Um, So there have been a million like, I know who Jack the Ripper is and I'm going to find evidence. There was a NYPD like cold case detective who was like, yeah, I'm going to figure it out because like I'm... I'm a dude. When, like recently? I'm, yeah, pretty recently. So oh I want to say it was on like the Discovery Channel or something. It was silly. I but believe it. <laughs> he expresses a, John Kelly did express a hatred of prostitutes. He acknowledged that he was in London during the time of the murders and that he left after. And the reason the guy in New York was interested in researching him is because there was a murder in New York that was somewhat similar hmm. to the murders in Whitechapel. So people started to become interested in the idea of maybe there being a traveling Jack show. Yeah. Yikes. Let's talk about Saucy Jack's New York adventure. There was a lady named Carrie Brown and she was a sex worker. She was an older lady who was nicknamed Lady Shakespeare because she had a habit of after imbibing a few drinks. um, She was a, a person who liked to recite Shakespeare you know, fun. as a thing. Very fun. I think she wanted, she was an actress at one point or like she, she wanted to be an actress. So she had memorized a lot of like the, the female roles in Shakespeare plays. So that was she like, she sounds thing. like so much fun to be around. She sounds fucking awesome. She sounds like she probably had a little bit of a hard life, but you know what? She was having fun. She was doing her thing. She was smart and people liked her. People really like enjoyed being around her. She had like a good reputation as a person who was like nice to be around. Totally. Get a couple of cocktails in her, let her recite some poetry to you, some sonnets. Fuck it. In 20th Century Magazine, 
the May 1891 edition, there was a quote, a little more than a month ago, a homicide was committed in New York, the incidents of which were so like those attending the London homicides that the unknown perpetrator of the deed was also called Jack the Ripper. So that the name of Jack the Ripper stands for a person who kills a woman or women and afterward mutilates the body or bodies. I mean, I think it's funny that they just said that. They're just like, no, probably not him. This is just a person who does this. Right. Because now anyone who kills a woman is Jack the Ripper. And Jack was like a really common name for like the Penny Dreadfuls and like Mm -hmm. the true crime kind of like comics that people would read. Like Jack was just like a way of referring to like a guy. It's like every soda is a Coke. Exactly. Muzak is Muzak. (laughs) (laughs) In the Gangs of New York book, not the not the movie by Herbert Asbury. He said Shakespeare always claimed that she had come from an aristocratic family and that in her youth, she had been a celebrated actress in England. She supported her contention by reciting in return for a bottle of swan gin, every female role in Hamlet, Macbeth and the Merchant of Venice. She sounds cool as shit, to be honest with you. Carrie was found in a hotel called the East River Hotel in Manhattan on April 24th, 1891. So that's like a full two years after the first five murders. But this is in the U.S. now? This is in New York City. Um, And it's in like the, the dicey end. So it says the woman had been strangled to death, then had followed the mutilation, which connected the crime with Jack the Ripper's handicraft. Beginning near the end of the spine, the murderer had cut deep frontward to a point on the lower part of the abdomen and back again to where he started. What he had cut away had disappeared. He must have taken it with him. Disemboweling had followed this awful surgery. I don't think it looks like Jack the Ripper at all. But at this point, it can be a copycat because there's been all the coverage in the news. Exactly. Mm. It could just be someone being like, oh, that sounds like fun. Let me try that too. Mm -hmm. DIY. Yuck. I mean, she was like deeply mutilated. It, It did not to me look the same but one of the one of the things that they thought looked the same was just the fact that she was mutilated at all which to me is not the same thing but also that she had there was an x carved into her i believe it was her her abdomen there was x's carved in like some of the other white chapel victims but i feel hmm. like that was incidental I don't think that the, that was like a Hallmark card. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel like that was <laughs> yeah. like a sign your name here. Oh, I don't uh-huh. know how to yeah. write. Yeah, they took that as being like a, oh, hell yeah. What they ended up doing was pinning it essentially on a guy who people called Frenchie. He was this Moroccan guy. There were actually two Frenchies. There's Frenchie one and Frenchie two, both North African men. The one that they pinned it on was so very clearly innocent that he ended up being released from prison after a few years. Oh, wow. Essentially, the the NYPD said, oh, wow, we really fucked up and we're going to fully announce it. We're so sorry. Wow. But, you know, they, they fucked his life. He was in prison for 11 years for a crime that he did not commit. And they actually framed him for it. They said that there was a trail of blood from her room to his room in the hotel. And people stepped up and were like, no. Wow. That was not a thing. I worked there. I looked at everything. There were no trails of blood. What the fuck are you talking about? But there was another Frenchie and his name was Arby LeBruckman. And he was actually one of the suspects in the Whitechapel murders. It wasn't worth bringing him in for either of them because there just wasn't enough evidence for Mm -hmm. either of them. But if he murdered Carrie Brown, Lady Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. then it's very possible that he was also the the Jack the Ripper killer. Right, he's Jack the Ripper. Yeah, one hundred percent. I saw. I solved it. Case closed. <laughs> he traveled a lot. He was uh, a cattle slaughterer on ocean liners. 
Well, look at that. He's used to like slaughtering things. He's used to slaughtering things. And also there's the travel aspect. And like I said, there were Jack the Ripper cases fucking everywhere. However, there is a theory that Jack was a seaman. Uh. (laughs) Everybody has heard of the English monarchy and the Freemasons thing, I assume. Mm. Like if you've heard of any of these conspiracy theories, but Stephen Knight wrote Jack the Ripper, The Final Solution. He wrote this book in 1976 based on what he considered hard evidence from a man who claimed to be the love child of Prince Albert Victor and Annie Elizabeth Crook, who was a sex worker who was like loosely kind of related to the sex workers who were murdered. Hmm. And the theory was that Prince Albert really loved the ladies and he fell in love with this Annie Elizabeth Crook and had a love child with her. And the monarchy was like, fuck, no, no, Mm -hmm. no, 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 no. We got to murder all these broads. We can't just be like, no, that's not that's not his child. What are you talking about? There's no DNA. There's no like you are the father. However, they need to murder everybody just to be safe. Mm. And the Freemasons kind of come into it because apparently the Freemasons wanted to make sure that the royalty and the uh, the parliament class was preserved and they couldn't do that if Prince Albert was sticking his dick and whoever having having secret marriages and secret babies. But this guy claimed, I know exactly what happened. Mary Kelly didn't really die. She was my nanny. She actually ended up being in a different room. So she ended up just absconding with me. And I lived with this other guy who we'll talk about, who was also one of the theories. But yeah, none of that's true. Then we talked about Jack being probably a a seaman or Mm -hmm. like maybe working on boats because Mm -hmm. the murders happened on the weekends. Like that's generally when boats would dock and dudes would get off of the boat and get to stretch their legs for a little bit. So that to me makes the most sense. But at the same time, there really is no evidence that these kinds of murders or that murders with exactly the same modus operandi happened other places. There are Mm -hmm. definitely like gruesome murders everywhere you go. However, there's no evidence that Jack the Ripper continued doing his shit past those five. And there's Jill the Ripper. One of the people of the time had actually suggested that, you know, a woman who was working as a midwife could be covered in blood, walking around, doing whatever. I guess. Yeah. So people have proposed there was either a deranged midwife who was just murdering people or like there were botched abortions. Okay, I get that. Yeah. People kind of did what they did after that. And that maybe because the midwife had some anatomical knowledge from being a midwife, Mm -hmm. A, she was able to get away with it because, you know, people aren't looking for a woman who's brutally murdering and like disemboweling people. But also like she's, Maybe she's disemboweling people to take organs and sell them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's it's more likely than Prince Albert and a secret baby. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing. At the time of the murders, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde had just been written, and it was a new play in London. And there was a famous actor at the time, Richard Mansfield, and he was so convincing that people were like, he's Jack the Ripper. Oh, wow. He did it. To be fair, 
the performance dates lined up with <laughs> the murder. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. She was an American actor who came to London to perform these, I believe. So because he was such Very a good... Very suspicious. Such a good actor. That's like the same thing as people being like, this person was an asshole on this show, so they're an asshole. Right, yeah. People are just so simple. This is my favorite. This one is the idea that Walter Sickert, who is a famous painter, he was Jack the Ripper and that he actually admitted it by doing paintings, essentially, and by like writing notes. He was super obsessed with Jack the Ripper. Everybody was. I don't know. He's like one of those weird guys who'd be like, yeah, it's going to be real funny if we like sign into this hotel under Jack. Oh my God. Instead of our actual name. He's just like a weird guy. He became obsessed with the case after, you know, he had been out of the, the city for a while and he came back and he rented a room from a woman who thought, that she had previously rented the room to a man who probably was Jack the Ripper because he was fucking weird. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of left one day. So he made a painting called Jack the Ripper's Bedroom and it looks creepy as shit. Looks Mm -hmm. real, real creepy. He kind of disguised the look of the room that he rented and just kind of like made an ambiance. It was like... Yeah, this is the room and it's kind of cool if like I was in the room that he was Mm -hmm, in at some point. And then he also made another painting and I can't remember exactly what it was called. It was a reference to one of the murders and in it, there's a man kind of standing over a woman who's lying prone and naked on the bed and you can't really tell what is going on. But he he liked to paint people who would be considered like lower class or unfortunates. Mm -hmm. So he was really like a man of the people. Very engaging, like very charismatic, but he definitely like preferred to be around real people to being around like rich people, even though he was definitely like able to pass in rich society or whatever. He made this painting and I think originally the title was So What Should We Do for the Rent Money? Which is like super cheeky and like silly. And then he named it something to the effect of like Jack and whoever. I don't remember what the name of it was, but it was definitely like a reference to one of the murders. Yeah. (laughs) He was actually specifically really researched into by this lady named Patricia Cornwell, who writes true crime novels. She spent, I want to say something like $7 million researching this guy like buying paintings of his to to test for DNA to try to like sample and figure out if she could prove that wow, it was him. That's wild. There is a documentary that I'll actually link in all this that is actually worth watching just because you kind of get more of an idea of who she is as a person than you do of like whether or not her theory is real, which it totally hmm. is not. It's it's just fascinating. Like there's such an obsession with this. People love to believe that this man is like way more than he actually is, which Mm -hmm. is fascinating to me. (laughs) There are still people trying to prove that person XYZ did it. Most of the time it's like a family member or like a, you know, a distant like friend of a friend's relative or like, oh, I found this like admission of guilt in my, you know, floorboards. It's like, (laughs) it's just insanity. But yeah, so I feel like Walter Sickert especially is just like everybody else. Like he got it pinned on him because he's obsessed with this shit. But like Mm -hmm. everybody is. Even I look at it and I'm like, could we actually figure it out? You are Jack the Ripper. Aren't we all a little Jack the Ripper? (laughs) I mean, but really it's like it's this man who's larger than life and our media built him up because like at the time it was, wow, we got Mm -hmm. all these papers. How are we going to sell them? But yeah, he's he's not the most intense uh, murderer I've ever researched. Well, he made a big mark. 
I love nerding out like nobody's business. Like I will research something until I'm just like, I can't do anything with this. I have to stop. But mm-hmm. <laughs> like there are entire web pages of just like so much research. I don't even know where to begin. It's a lot of dedication. So much to dedication something that... to something that's almost certainly unsolvable. People love a mystery. Mm-hmm. People love the chase. What kind of kills me about this, though, is that people aren't really looking at the the people who were affected by this. Like there mm-hmm. were actual like women killed and people are more interested in figuring out who the, the possible asshole was. Mm-hmm. I want to know more about Lady Shakespeare. I couldn't find a whole lot on her. Yeah. It was literally just like she got drunk and quoted Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Like I only care about the people and you don't get to hear anything about them. Why are we so it's fucking true. obsessed Sad. with monsters? Mm-hmm. I thought that this would be an interesting kind of look at how there really were Jack the Rippers everywhere at all times. And there still are. Very interesting. And there still are. There will always be Jack the Rippers and we will never know who he is. 100%. We will always talk about this fucking dude and barring some miracle and forensic discovery, we will never know who he is. Yeah. Forever mystery. I I am just now realizing that this is coming out on the holidays. So (laughs) (laughs) one thing I notice is you're like, this is all this information that everybody just knows about Jack the Ripper. And I'm like, this is all in for is all new <laughs> new to me. I mean, like, I, I know I know it. like who he is or like of him, but not like the details of his murders. I think it's more interesting to talk about like the Victorian culture of the time and like what mm-hmm, actually led sure. to all of this and like how in its infancy forensic science was. Well, I loved it. Thank you for sharing. Did you love it though? I did. It was informative. I think you can love something or it can be informative. Sometimes it's both. But I think this was probably just informative. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what you're going to talk about next time? Well, I wanted to research those girls, the radium girls. Yeah. But I've also been looking into manufactured bands. So I love it. The, uh, the radium girls are definitely super sad. But I also know that the manufactured bands are super sad. So. Right, like a, it's <laughs> sad, but also like a little more fun. Too. Yeah. It's a little bit less uh, face melty. <laughs> yes a little more like hey just don't be a person be a product uh-huh exactly i mean they're both like exactly. be a product in a way but one of them has a lot more teeth at the end of it can't wait to see what you come out with something cool we're gonna listen to the backstreet boys that's it and <laughs> like 90 minutes of backstreet boys you have been listening to i read a thing you can find us wherever you stream podcasts and if you are feeling generous this holiday season I would suggest that you use that generosity to give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts and potentially write something also. Like, these girls really talk a lot. (laughs) Um, You can find us also at iReadAThing.com where you can also find show notes when we actually post them. Holy shit, we need to do that. Ah, we're going to do it, I promise. Oh, the holidays are hard guys. You can find us at I Read a Thing Podcast on Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel. You guys, if you want to see the faces that make the sounds, that's where the faces live on YouTube. I mean, you can also find those videos on Facebook, but we need YouTube followers because we love you. Thank you. It's the holidays. Generosity is a virtue. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for us today. So we will be back in the new year, January 8th, with all new content. Stream it. Until then. Listen. 
just listen to all our old episodes. You can you can put them on mute and just let them play. <laughs> we will give out one free puppy as supplies last to every person who <laughs> rates us on Apple Podcasts and listens to our podcast. Supplies are incredibly <laughs> limited, so act now. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you next time. Mwah. Goodbye. Bye. Hey.